0: All right, welcome to episode 51 of the Axiom Podcast. This is where we talk to other business owners and on business topics, leadership topics. And today, we're going to be talking about 50-50 partnerships. And we have two special guests, David Yon and Jamie Dunham from iBusiness Solutions. And these guys, as I expressed to them earlier, they're the unicorn in terms of successful 50-50 partnerships. So welcome, guys.
1: Thank you. David. Thank you.
0: Jamie. So tell me a little bit about your uh, partnership history together. Which one wants to go first? He's pointing to David. So David's going to go first. So how long you guys been doing this together?
1: Uh, well, uh, we actually met each other in 1994. We both worked for Chris Craft Boat Company and uh, uh, kind of a long story, but we got recruited away from that into the financial services industry. And spent a couple years in that. And then in 1999, we started our first insurance agency and um, have been partners ever ever since.
0: So 20 years, 20 plus years together.
1: 20 plus years, yeah.
0: And you guys were both at ChrisCraft together?
1: We were. I didn't know that. Yeah. So,
0: what were you guys doing at ChrisCraft when you guys were working
1: there together? Uh, I was working in the warehouse. Actually, met my wife there as well, oh, which is kind right of man. interesting. And Jamie, you were engineering and warehouse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct.
0: And so did you, you guys followed each other kind of after, so it was a friendship that kind of developed into a business partnership and you guys just stayed together? Mm-hmm. We, yeah.
2: we had a mutual friend who had a family member who was in financial services Okay. and growing up. And at that stage, you look at someone and they're driving the big Cadillac and have the big home and you know, what's that guy doing? Right. And that kind of just intrigued us. And that's how we kind of got pulled away from Chris Graff to go into the financial services. And then it just spawned from there.
0: So have you guys always been 50-50 since the beginning? Has it always been yes. that way?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Interesting. Has there ever been, uh, did you guys have any other partners in the mix during any of that time where you were, you know, like a third, a third, a third? Or has it always been just the two of you?
2: How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so to say we are, we are the unicorn, and we get that all the time, um, You know, how are we still together? It is an anomaly. And for us, there's no real magic recipe, but we took on partners, and um, as we grew from financial services, we morphed into employee benefits, and then we morphed into an all-lines agency where we were doing everything from 401ks, home and auto... Uh, personal lines, commercial lines and and as we were getting into that side of it, we merged our agencies in with another larger agency, so we took on a partner who and everything it was going well, and it, it was different because Dave and I had a kind of a pact, and we knew each other and we knew strengths and weaknesses and and there there's never been a time that one of us said we need to do this without the other's consent and it it just worked itself out but uh, the other partnership was a little more mature in business than us not to say that was a good thing because it ultimately didn't end up that way Um, however we have um, really on two occasions have had additional partners Um, and I don't know how you say. It. Not that they didn't work out. It just wasn't the same philosophy in the end. Yeah. And and that's where Dave and I have always been, um, pretty true to each other and and hold each other accountable, and it's worked out.
3: So you mentioned a pact. Is that like a formal document that you guys did on the back of a napkin, or like a blood oath that you took? Or like <laughs> Tell us a little funny. bit more about
1: that. No, not really. That uh, I think you know, uh, from a, a strengths and weaknesses standpoint, we we fit together. So we have different roles within within the agency. I have different strong suits that that Jamie doesn't have. And I think uh, you know we'll probably get into a little bit more of this uh, as the as the conversation continues. But uh, we pretty much let each other stay in their lanes, and I'm not micromanaging him. He's not micromanaging me, and it seems to just work out. And the partner that Jamie was referring to uh, when he came into the mix, it it disturbed some of that a little bit. He thought differently than Jamie and I do. And so it ultimately ended up that it didn't work out. And we, we unmerged our book of business back out and ended up starting the company that we're with right now um, about 13 years ago. And so we're back to 50-50. And I say that he, uh, we actually have a junior partner with us as well that's, uh just came on beginning of last year.
0: Okay. And so when you said something interesting, Jamie, uh, hold each other accountable, uh, which you know, that's kind of music to Devin and I's ears because it's one of the things that is a big part of the, of the change or the shift that we like to see happen inside companies that are really performing well, which is this kind of culture that welcomes accountability. So mm. what it, I don't want to read more into the statement than you're saying, but elaborate on hold each other accountable. What does that look like?
2: So David's strengths are on the financial side of the agency. Numbers contracts, lease arrangements, and, and then mine was out sales, just kind of the gift of Gavin being out, and I loved the network. So it, it was not only from him, we have a work marriage, but our spouses, you know, we go home at the end of the day, and this was early on, we were starving. And my wife hold me accountable at the same time. Did you sell anything today? Right. No, I didn't. Well, then you better get back in there and get on the phone. <laughs> and that's just, that's how it was birthed. But to hold each other accountable to making sure um, contracts are up to date, leases aren't coming due to me being out selling. And we both had to sell in the early stages. But there was never really a time where, I felt if I were out selling, generating revenue where he was not, that he wasn't fulfilling his end of the bargain. And and to be 50-50, we had to split every dollar that came in. So even though um, he's back at home slash office um, taking care of business and I'm out on the street generating revenue, that it, it never was a time. It's, it's almost like... If your your wife is a stay at home mom taking care of the kids, she's still got a job while mm-hmm. you're out doing it. it's that relationship uh um it just worked out well. And to hold each other accountable, same thing, you know, did we sell anything today? How are we gonna pay our bills? And how do I put money in my wife's bank account? We both uh <laughs> just had to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, um and there were typical times if we were on larger accounts where I'm able to manage and get it up to a certain point uh, I leverage the fact that I can bring David in and he can share the numbers and and how things get played out it it just worked out well we looked at other one thing that I think helped us is evaluating what didn't work for other people and it came into from financial money is always a challenge, you know, at 50 50 splitting the dollar and making sure one's not spending more than the other. And Devin, you asked the original question, you know, the, the pact, mm-hmm. we did kind of have an unwritten rule mm-hmm. that stayed, and we had a dollar amount that said, if both of us, if I wanted a new piece of equipment that I thought was going to improve our, our productivity, and David thought otherwise, if one of us said no to any of the purchases, we didn't do it. And that was our pact. Not really in writing. We just said, um, and we made the agreement with another and, uh, and vice versa. So if I didn't agree with something that he wanted to purchase, um, I said no. It just didn't happen. And we didn't fight it. We just, that was our agreement. And, and it seems kind of layman's, but it held true. Still does today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still does today. So,
3: now, I'm, I'm interested in operationally how that affected you uh, at times when maybe one of you said no to the other, being forced in a way to to change direction with the current equipment. You know, let's say, I, I guess see that challenge as an opportunity and you know to grow and to be better in a different way instead of looking to the equipment. Did, I, did that ever happen in, in your working relationship? I
2: can't really say that it did. Can you think of a time where, because I think we, all, we are always thinking of technology and ways to constantly improve what we have. So if it came down to something that he came to me and said, I think we really need this software, or uh, the CRM system, and it wasn't a hard sell. It's, I agree with you. Can we afford it? What do the numbers look like? How's it going to prove? What's the ROI?
1: And we just agreed. So I can't, can you ever think of a time where? No, and, and you know, honestly, if it was a situation where one of us weren't on the same page as the other, if the idea made sense, we both kind of had open minds. So um, if the idea made sense, and one of us was pushing for that idea, we just had to figure out a way to make it clear to the other partner so that he understood why we're wanting what we want. And at that point, it either you know he would either give in or not. And most of the time, if it was a good decision, we could we could shed some clarity to it so that that uh, either one of us would kind of agree to it. So
2: and in some cases, there were benchmarks. So if we want to, and I'm going way back in the early days, if we want to get the MacDaddy uh, copier, that's going to force us into a five-year lease and so on. And this is way early. Um, We will, we agree that if we get to this point in revenue, then we'll, that's the trigger point to pull the trigger to access that. Same thing with hiring and firing uh, procedures. We're all kind of predicated on kind of benchmarking. Once we get to this point, this is where I think we should be before we pull the trigger on that. So it just worked out.
0: I think one of the advantages that you guys may have uh, over some is that, you you did kind of come up together when the dollars were small, when mm. the decisions were a lot more like we've got. OK, so if we want that copier, we've got to go out and get X, you know, five more accounts or six more accounts to get the revenue, monthly revenue up to the lease payment. And Fred DeLuca, who started Subway, he wrote a book like 20 years ago. And the basic premise of the book is like make pennies before you can make dollars. And it strikes me that that's kind of what you guys are talking about. Is like making small decisions got you to the point where you can make bigger decisions later when the stakes were a lot higher.
1: Yeah. I think another thing that helped, too, is, uh, you know, in the beginning, we both had multiple jobs. So I, I worked other jobs outside of the industry that I am right now. We also made a pact that we weren't going get to get into debt. And so from basically from for the last at least 13 years that iBusiness Solutions has been around, we've had no debt. We've been debt free. And that's made the partnership easy, too, because I'm sure as you can attest, if you have a lot of bills that you got to pay, that comes into play between a partnership and how you're spending that money. So sure.
0: um, Well, in the 13 years that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's some very formative years in those 13 as we sit here in, in 2021. You're talking about. 2007 2008 2009 2010 when a lot of people who had debt didn't make it right so
1: yep.
2: and we owe a lot of gratitude to our spouses who were working and supporting us and saying believing in us and when we say your your statement is spot on Um, there was zero dollars coming in when we started so when we left uh, an insurance agency that we were both out of say 18 producers, it, it was he and I battling back and forth as a number one spot, and that's when we looked at each other and said, "I think maybe we can do this on our own," and and that's what spawned the original agency, which was birthed out of the back of my house. But uh, it, it wasn't that I had a thriving company and he had a thriving company, and we all had we both had our own aptitude on how it should run we developed it together so I think that is uh, from what you were saying kind of a large part of, of our success uh, we did have to split every dollar and the decisions were made together all the way up until today
0: right when we talk about accountability one of the things that we see uh, that and we're dealing with a couple relationships right now that I can think of it's a very prevalent problem of non-confrontation like a non-confrontational nature uh, creates problems, right? So you guys obviously get along well. And we were talking about, you know, some of the before we started recording things you guys do outside of the office with families and friends, and you guys are always hanging out together. Um, but how would you characterize each of your propensity toward like confrontation or shying away from it? So where where do you fall on scale? Of, like zero to 10, Jamie, on like how confrontational are you?
2: I'm probably one of the most laid-back guys you'll ever meet. Um, no. It's hard, it's hard <laughs> to believe. <laughs> uh, but confrontation, um, business, we face it head-on. And that's been our MO from the beginning. If there is a challenge, we're going to be sitting before you, no matter what it is. And we, it always works itself out. Um, confrontation... <laughs> For me, um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know if anybody does. Uh, but we we just don't run from it. Um, and we address it. We have ability to just diffuse certain situations and a calming effect that whatever we're going through, we're going to get through it, uh, whether it's from a client perspective or a, a family perspective. And that's held
1: through all the way through
2: um
1: yeah from a partnership perspective you know we really don't have that many arguments there's some topics that come into play that that um will will cause some tension between us but for the most part we we hold each other accountable and if we're not performing if there's an issue that i'm having jamie will come to me and say hey you need to step it up And if there's some issues on the sales side of it, I'll come to him and and show him the numbers and say, hey, we need to pick it up in this area. And I think the ego side of it has been thrown out the door a long time ago. So we understand that when we're coming, we're coming from a a point of perspective of what's best for the agency and that, you know, uh, a point where we care about each other. And so um, we listen Mm -hmm. and and we understand that it's uh, not just talk that we need to follow through with it as well
0: well you guys after 13 years obviously have a pretty healthy relationship lots of shared experiences lots of ups and downs and trials that you've kind of gone through together and you know kind of bonded through and Mm. it strikes me that one of the things that makes today when the the dollars are higher and the stakes are higher and there's more people on the payroll relying on the two of you to lead them well Uh, there's a huge amount of shared goodwill between the two of you because of all that shared past experience, right? It's not just that it's like, I want to trust this person. I actually do trust this person because there's a decades-long track record of me being able to point back and say I was able to count on here and here and here and here. Like, what advice would you give to, to maybe two friends who are in their mid to late 20s who are like, hey, we're the top two dogs at whatever company we're at, Maybe we should just go out and, and fly our own flag and, and, and do this 50-50. You're good at one thing. I'm good at another thing. We can do this together. And maybe they don't have the decades long. Maybe they've worked together for three or four years and just hit it off well. Like w- early on, how were you guys able to come to each other? And you know, were there, were there times when there were hurt feelings or there was a rift for a time and you had to come back? And what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can have a partnership without having some of that uh, in it. Um, you know, I think um, part of the success of our partnership and why we have made it to this point um, has been a couple different things. One of them is that, uh, you know, this is a, a biblical reference, but being equally yoked. So um, we both have the same faith, um, which has been a huge uh, factor in, in the success of the business. We have uh, complementary strengths, which has been a big uh, factor. And the ego thing, I think, is one of the biggest downfalls on partnerships. When someone thinks they know more than the other person, uh, that comes into play in a lot of different aspects of it. And I think having an open mind and listening to what the other person has to say and taking that for, um, uh, you know, not taking that for granted comes into play as well. So, mm-hmm. um you have two
2: A personalities; they're going to clash. So it's being humble. It's if I'm want to run in a specific direction, it's being able to either reel that person back in and and just have an open conversation and be receptive to it. Um, and if you're wrong, admit it, own it, and what are we going to do to to improve it from there? But being humble. So we've looked and evaluated other partnerships and, and it seems like they're constantly butting heads on decisions that need to be made uh, and disagreements that happen. And we talk it out. Does it make sense not only for us and our families, but for our staff and for the industry that we're in? And if it does, that's really all that it takes and let's do it. And what's it going to cost? What's, it, what's the factors that are going to come into play to, to improve ourselves?
0: It's interesting. I love the the equally yoked reference um, because you guys have something in the middle between you that is the standard, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a standard that's outside of yourselves for what's right, what's wrong, what does success look like, and I'm, and I know in a marriage that's hugely important too, and that's kind of what we're talking about, right? This is this is all the it's elements. A, it's a business that, marriage, right? It is <laughs> um, without a lot of the fringe benefits that come there with, <laughs> right? So when we talk about um th- that common ground that's huge but and then Jamie you, you also said humility uh which is man that's that kind of hit me between the eyes because as i think through some of the struggling partnerships that we've encountered over the years um i can i can see where lack of humility has been there and and it comes and it comes from two fronts right it's like i might wanna be humble but, if devin's not willing to create the space for me to be humble, mm-hmm. you know if he 's going to jam it down my throat with an I told you so, it makes me really hard to cross that line and there's an element of like like you said, they put the ego aside it 's not about who's right or wrong it's about what's what's ahead of us, not behind, and let 's just move forward
1: I think you know um, many times when we've come to crossroads where we have to make decisions, another big factor is the what comes first like what's most important and the thing that's most important is the success of the business itself so if the business is not succeeding we don't make payroll we don't get to support the families that are are working with us and so the decisions have to be made from that perspective not what's necessarily going to benefit David mm-hmm. or Jamie, mm-hmm. but what, how is the business gonna be successful so that we can continue to do what we're doing and help, help the folks that we're helping right now?
2: It's one of the proudest moments for me is every morning walking in and high-fiving the team members and just seeing the smiling faces that we have and what do I gotta do to support you? And it, that's, a, that's been, we've never not done that, mm-hmm. and it's just very, very rewarding and fulfilling.
0: That's a perspective. I mean, it, it it seems obvious when you say it that, you know, hey, the business needs to come first. It's not about what whether this going to be better or worse for me. It's going to be better or worse for the business for us to go this direction or that direction. Right. And it sounds simplistic, but I wonder in confrontations with partners – you know how often it really does come down to losing sight of hey like this is not about you and me you know this is not about you getting a new truck or me getting a new truck or our team my team getting a new piece of software a new copier being in our side of the building this is about the business and if we don't do it or if we do do it it's going to have an impact on that
2: it was difficult at the beginning i mean we have to go home if you've got 10 employees that you support and them and their families. But to go home, if we're not making payroll, to go home and tell the spouse we can't take a paycheck, but everyone else is going to continue to get paid. And that's first and foremost. And that has happened uh, when in the early stages. And there were multiple times where, and in many cases, business owners don't take, the, and the employees don't really realize what goes into building that, that uh, you don't get paid but they still do, and we want them to ensure that they continue to get paid. So giving up that for the greater good of the the agency and themselves is what propelled us, and, and having no debt to ensure that whatever we're doing isn't going to put us in the hole, and uh,
0: it's worked. Hi, this is Joy Bremen. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. Let's talk about roles, because you guys alluded to that earlier. Like, saying, you know, one of the things that's helped you guys work well together is we each kind of know where our lane starts and stops. Um, so, Jamie, you said, like, from early on, you were more on the sales side and revenue generation. David, you are more focused on the financial and operations side of things. Has that changed over the years? Has it been pretty much, have, have you had the same lane for 13 years, or has it changed over time?
2: No, it's been the same so i don't um david comes from a financial background it seems like it's just naturally inherent in him uh, the numbers and reviewing contracts and being able to to discern the the right way to go from the operation side and me it's the ability to come out and do this and and have conversations and go meet business owners and um and just evaluate their situations to better help them improve their situation. So running sales and running the sales department and the ability to just go out and befriend and help and take a supportive role in the community has just been what I've always done. And, and David's had to do that as well. I mean, there are times where we we have him um, jump in the side cart and, he has to run out too, just and support sales but uh, it's always been pretty clear
1: um, me on the sales side and he's doing the books mm. yeah I mean if you if, I'm a numbers guy that's uh, something that I enjoy and so uh, to to come in and do the the books and look at the P&L statements and balance sheets and all of the procedures and, and operation side of it, it's just natural for me. And so, and Jamie's been good. I mean, he, he lets me, he lets me uh, do what I want to do for the most part. Um, you know, we do have financial meetings where we sit down and look at, at where the company's been going and where, you know, where it's been and where it's going. And so, you know, he sees all the numbers. There's nothing that I, I hide from him. Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, we don't sweat the small stuff. You know, we just, we let him or i let him do what he needs to do. And he lets me do what I need to do with the accountability side of it.
0: Yeah. So when, when we talk about what that looks like, one of the things that um, has been an issue in different partnerships we've worked with is the inability to distinguish, say, ownership conversations from operations or say employee conversations. You know, you guys both get a W-2. For the the work that you perform in the business for the, you know, you guys probably work like 25, 30 hours a week, probably. I wish. <laughs> um, We're working for that. We're working for that. Getting to it. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what you get paid for the service that you render to the business, right? And then there's other things like capital allocation decisions on buying new equipment or or expanding workforce or changing facilities, that kind of stuff, those those tend to be more of the high-level kind of ownership questions in small businesses. And so um, we've had situations where we've had to formally distinguish the ownership conversation from the employee conversations. And that what that looks like is you know put a date and a time and a place on the calendar when we're going to look at the PNL. We're going to we're going to bring all the issues that got tabled because you know that's not a that's not a day to day decision. That's a bigger thing. We need to give that more time, more consideration, or look mm-hmm. at more numbers. Um, have you guys found that you need those formal times? And I guess what I'm getting to is like, what does your day to day interaction look like? And then are there are there special times when you guys, like the financial meetings you just alluded to, when you take up bigger topics? Or are you just, got, are you just handling that as they come?
1: The, the ownership side of it, Jamie and I typically, it's, it's one-on-one. So we will meet and we'll talk about those topics just him and I together. A lot of the operations side of it, we have a, a leadership team um, that meets every other week. And those topics come uh, in, in those meetings, basically. So we have uh, the managers of all the departments, our, our partner, um, who's, uh, who just became a, a junior partner with us uh, beginning of last year, is in that as well. And so those topics are, are dealt with. Um, and, and for the most part, we have goals and directions for them. But when they're making the, the day-to-day decisions, we just let them make it as long as they're staying within you know, the guidelines that we give them. So. It's, okay. it's somewhat easy, I and think. I think we've always taken the approach of I don't know everything,
2: mm-hmm. and David doesn't know everything. We don't know what we don't know. So we have leaned on other professionals in our business and likewise, meaning um, C12. Uh, being a part of C12 has influenced our ability to grow. So the things that you're discussing, we have off-site quarterly leadership team meetings where we take the whole day and we're planning so this is Information that we've gathered from other professionals that have been successful and not necessarily in our industry But just how to how to operationally run a business without having some of those influence our decisions and having regular meetings trusting our leadership team and giving them the ability without having to micromanage them so we have put procedures and team members in place to do that but we hold um agency meetings for running the agency and then david and i review quarterly and and ongoing coincidentally uh the beginning of this year we're out of space in our building and so we are bunking together we're in the same office so that gives (laughs) us uh more time together that um the issues and the challenges and, and having uh, conversations about moving forward are, are constant now. Uh, we're sitting across from each other and and having these conversations on the regular and and but then when it's time to get serious it's pulling the P&Ls and going through and looking at expenses and what where do we really want to grow this department's falling short, what do we need to do to support them. Uh, so we do it is a separate kind of agency, and then as ownerships, you know, the big picture: where we're we going to be in five years, what does that look like? So we hold those two.
0: Okay.
3: So, so just a, kind of an aside to that is, when we're talking about day-to-day interaction as partners, and we're talking about roles, there's also this, you know, one being on the sales side, one being on the operations side, and most businesses that we work with. That's a pretty big conflict, right? Not just among the, the managers, but even their their subordinates and their, their team members, because operations isn't fulfilling the jobs that we're selling, or we don't have any jobs to do because sales isn't living up to their end of the bargain. And you start to see this division, and in a lot of the companies that we work with, you know there's one owner who tends to set set, I guess the standard for how we interact with one another, the vision you know the cultural piece. Do you guys find that there's a, a, how do you, in your business, how do you break that apart? How do you prevent the separate sides of roles? And given the fact that you're not one leader who's setting the cultural standard, but you're two leaders.
2: Hmm. So so we've, again, um, kind of looked at what has not worked. And we'll use the big name payroll providers. And there's always a disconnect between sales and service. Sales goes out and makes promises that they <laughs> no, can't. No, 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 <laughs> no, come on, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and then service is left trying to clean up the mess. We do not allow that to happen. So it, we almost take a reverse approach. Service is dictating to sales what they're allowed to do. And it has been very successful for us. And there is a complete debrief uh, whenever something gets sold that the salesperson has to sit down with the, the implementation team and completely describe what has been sold, what are the promises that have been made, what are the expectations and the timelines, and then it's left up to service to take it from there. But that timeline and all of those decisions came from our service team. So sales cannot. And fortunately, our our sales manager is also very very. Um, that's his. Yeah. That's his expectation as well. Yeah. So we know that we can't have or create longevity, and our, our retention rate of clients is exceptional because of that. So there aren't promises made, and then when implementation gets in, I didn't know we were supposed to do that. that. That rarely, rarely, rarely happens with us. So, And even in our building, we have sales on one side of the hallway and then service. And if I could tear that wall down, I would. Uh, sales is pretty loud, like in most organizations, so we do, we do separate them. But uh, they are, uh, they know that we'll come down on them pretty good if if we come back and we're doing an implementation on a new client and and service is coming back saying they oversold it and things that we can't uh, do, um, then we know there's going to be a conversation that's going to be had. Hmm. So we try to bring sales and service together as one unit and we try not to even use the terms like... Don't cross the hallway. If I could tear the wall down, we would, and we'd be all one team. And it's we're about as good as as we can
0: be. Yeah, it's, it's, you want. Uh, you know, what's interesting too, when we look at teams, um, there there are distinct differences between like your stereotypical salesperson and your stereotypical service person, right? The salesperson, as a stereotype, tends to be more hard charging get the deal across the finish line you know like the closing is is most important and yeah i mean there's a process but we got to be flexible in the process because every customer is different and you know, these are the things that we sure. hear and then the people who are tasked with actually carrying out the work whether that's production or service you know, they tend to be a little bit more methodical, like there's no way you can scale this business if we didn't have a process for how we interact with every customer and how we deliver the, the services that we do. And um, it, it is a it's a balancing act to get those two to work together. And it makes I'm really appreciative of like if I could tear the wall down, I could. Because something as simple as a physical separation can can have unintended consequences in terms of, like, many competitive cultures within the organization. So what have you guys done? Um, you know, what what do you do to try? You do have the wall. So what are some of the tactical things you do to try to get those two groups to get to know each other, get to work together better? I love the handoff. I love the every. And you guys have, um, you know, kind of very long-term you know, hopefully perpetual engagements with your customers. So the handoff is very deliberate, more deliberate than it might be in a more transactional type of, of sale where it's like, Hey, we're going to do this one thing and then we're not going to do it for this customer for another 15 or 20 years potentially. So that's a little bit different, but I like the handoff, but what else are you doing to try to get those two groups to, to see each other and work together?
1: Um, I mean, we do a lot of stuff even outside of the office. So, um, as an example, uh, two, I think two weeks ago, uh, we took the entire staff out to the polo match that was, that was here and get a chance to, to interact with each other on a personal level outside of it. And I think that that is invaluable to mm-hmm. be able to have um, you know, the sales staff and all the different departments come together and be able to socialize and get a chance to know each other because it, it breaks the walls of the working relationship. And allows them to work better when they're when they're um, with each other there Uh, I think
2: um, for the listeners I guess what we're our business is comprised of payroll workers compensation and health benefits and it's very detailed so every morning our service staff has a, a huddle 15 minutes standing only they discuss Yesterday's challenges. What are we expecting today? Did we follow up on stuff? And then they go to work. That is every day, and every other Friday we include the sales team, so the sales team can inform the service of expectations and what potentially large accounts or challenges that we're going to have. And here's an influx of new business that's coming in, so that they're aware. Um, so that we just tr- communication is one of our core values not only within ourselves but to our clients so making sure that there is transparency and there's complete open lines of, it, of communication especially between sales and service so that they're clearly aware of, of what happens and what goes on and it is it's not just occasional sale every sale goes through a handoff process and um, where they will meet with every department implementation leader and go through the sale with them. And that that structure was developed by the service team and that's what the sales team uses. So when it gets handed off, it's a, it should be exactly what the expectation is. And and we are constantly trying to improve that uh, and be a part of it.
0: One of the things that that strikes me as a distinct advantage uh, so you see this in a lot of businesses where let 's say it 's a construction company, and the owner you know for the first fifteen twenty years of their career, they were out on the job site right so you can 't you can 't tell me that that can 't be done because i 've done it right mm-hmm. you can 't tell me that this that or the other thing doesn 't make sense because i 've been there and so there 's the there 's a much better b s detector you know for lack of a better term when you 've been out in the field doing the work um but the other side of it is is that when that business owner comes from the back say the field background, when it comes time to advocate for some non field idea, initiative or need, they can make that advocacy with the field, because they've kind of got the relational capital or the street credibility because they've been there, they've done that, those are their people. Mm-hmm. and so what's interesting about your partnership and the the um, kind of gifts and abilities that you both bring to it is like you can you can go to the sales team and say, "Hey, our service team needs this handoff." and I know it's slowing you guys down. I know it's one more or two more you know leads a day that you're not going to be able to follow up on. But it's important, and so I we really need you to do it. And likewise, you know, Dave, you can sit down with the service team and be like, "We got to help these guys get the deals across the finish line faster, so that they can turn them and they can make more money." And I know this creates headaches for us, but we got to put ourselves in their shoes too. And not every business owner has that like that's one of the distinct advantages you guys have like it's rare to have a business owner who's done everything, you know, field ops, service, uh, finance, you know, they can't make that they've got one group that kind of sees them as their people, right? That's my, those are my people, Um so it, has that actually played out where you found that that's the capital? And do you see that as a distinct advantage over like a single owner?
1: Well, one of the things you just said, so when the handoff comes to service and you said, hey, uh, that's going to create more headaches uh, for service, but we still have to do it. We look at it a little differently. I look at it as though if we don't do it, it's going to create headaches. So what we found is by having that smooth transition from where sales is is having that debrief, with the service team. The service team then reaches out to the client, confirms everything that the sales uh, the sales promised to them and, and confirm their expe- expectations. That when we get one or two or three processes in, into the relationship with the client, we've fulfilled their expectations. So it eliminates the headaches that we have there. If we don't do it, then all of a sudden surprises happen up and, and, and the client's going, hey, we thought you were going to do this, and you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So that that handoff, that initial um, uh, relationship that we're building with the client is is key to the success of the relationship. If you start off on the wrong foot, foot in our industry, it's hard to recover. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that we're.
0: It's a good thing that payroll it. is like easy and simple, <laughs> yeah. and never, there's never any problems with it, right?
2: Yeah. I'm going to digress a little bit, so in our, when we had our third partner, it was back oh four, five, six, when things were just absurdly busy and crazy. Everyone went home and we had thirty voicemails on every phone that we didn't, couldn't get to. It was nuts. And it was all about sales. We had sales mentality. Sales will overcome any, if we lost a count, so what. We've got ten more in the hopper. And when Everything started to fall off the table, and we severed that relationship, and we looked at each other and said, if we have to rebuild an insurance agency and a payroll platform all over again, what would it look like? And we are not going to do that. We are not going to just sell, sell, sell without looking back. How do we create uh, this institution that's going to concentrate on both? And that's what started it all. So what technology do we need? How do we not create this backlog of the phone ringing it's still there's not it's probably once a month I'll go to the service team why is the phone ringing so much what is it that sales did that's causing these this tremendous amount of phone volume is there something we can do better on the front end to prevent that so looking from a profitability standpoint evaluating every phone call is there something that we didn't do that created that so 13 years ago we looked at technology, we looked at the right people, we looked at making sure there's no disconnect between sales and service, because we see it so often. And, and we can, our, our profitability, our production and productivity is far greater with half the staff. Um, and our retention, everything is, is so much better now that we've had that perspective. And we were able to reevaluate it and make sure that those same mistakes don't happen twice. And that's never going away with us. We're constantly evaluating phone volume and trying not to allow sales to create future backlog in service. How can we continue to service our customers and create new ones from a from a profitable standpoint without uh, creating a, an abundance amount of staff and service backlog? Yeah. And that happened, and we're pretty grateful for it.
0: So you just identified kind of a milestone, you know, in your history of like there was a time when like this didn't work out, and we got a chance to push the reset button, and now we're gonna we're gonna choose to do it differently. I'm interested to hear you guys talk about any other milestones, the kind of significant events, how you guys reacted to them as partners, and how you feel like. Uh, I'm not gonna ask advantages disadvantages we'll just go with advantages you know i don't want i don't necessarily want us to go to lunch later and like you guys have to be explaining to <laughs> each other how you think having a partner was a disadvantage at a particular time in your history but if we say um you know what what are some significant milestones things you guys have been through and how did having a partner help you get through it where maybe not having that partner would have made it impossible or much more difficult or more strenuous
1: um well uh you know we've we've known each other for for so long um, and been in business for so long, I, I really don't even know what it would be like to run a business without a partner, which is kind of an interesting statement. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, uh, you know, I know we're an anomaly. I get that aspect of it, but for for us, it just works. And having Jamie's perspective because he is so different than I, we we're not we're not the same person in any way, shape or form. And so having his perspective on things, I rely on it. Um, there's things that I know I'm not good at, and when I come across those situations where I have to make a decision on it, I typically will bounce it off of him, and he'll, he'll change my perspective in a lot of different ways. And so if you're going at it solo, who do you have? I don't know who you would have, uh, you know, you have to have some mentor or business uh, person that you rely on to be able to bounce those ideas off of. Jamie mentioned C12 earlier, um, been a member of C12 for I think, uh, I want to say six years now. Um, and uh, so uh, anyway, it was one of the best decisions that we've made because uh, a lot of what the company looks like today has been shaped through the values and the, the information that I've taken out of C12. So that is uh, just a blessing in, in itself. but. Um, going solo, I don't, you know, I don't know what that would even look like. To be yeah. honest with you. And and to think of milestones,
2: um, we have goals, you know, when we hit certain thresholds or we meet our sales goals, those are milestones. I can't think of anything that's been major. Uh, you know, you always think of uh, of challenges. <laughs> the first thing that come to mind or was there anything horrific that has occurred during them? There's been many of those uh and then how we got through them and so where i see value is if david is completely stressing out about a situation it's um, i'm an outside perspective just to talk him off the ledge and here's what we're going to do to get through it just calm down for a second let's evaluate it <laughs> and, and that does <laughs> happen <laughs> <laughs> and where i i i have just uh i guess a Level head. No, no matter what, uh, this is very traumatic, but we're going to get through it. So calm down for a moment. Let's talk it out. What are we going to do? We're, what we're not going to do is sit back and let it play out. We don't do that. So let's address it. And how are we going to address it? And and move on. So our our personalities are are completely I want to say opposite, but um, they help each other. So one pressing David pressing forward. Me reeling it back, uh, going through the, the goods and the bads just from two separate perspectives mm-hmm. has, been a, has been really big.
0: Well, I think one of the things that, uh, it's, that seems to me a distinct advantage of a partnership, especially a 50-50 partnership, is that um, you're, you guys are equally vested in solving the problem. Right. So there's not a time, like I think of C12, uh, which I've been a member of C12 for a long time too. And for those that, that are listening that wonder what the heck is C12 and you guys keep talking about it, it's a CEO round table uh, for Christian business owners. And so we all share the same faith, uh, which kind of goes back to that that kind of common denominator of what's the standard we are to be held accountable to. And that's the bar that we all are expected to meet. So it gives us a great measuring stick to counsel each other and hold each other accountable to. And at the same time, um, we are talking about the real world issues that are facing businesses, business owners every day. Um, And businesses of all different sizes are in there, but they tend to be, you know, small businesses that one million, two million, up to 20, 30 million dollar range. And the problems are very similar across the board. But when, when a C-12 when you go to another business owner, whether it's a C12 group or a Vistage group or you know, a neighbor that, that also owns a business, and you're describing a problem to them, they're going to give you counsel, uh, and, and hopefully it's good advice. But at the same time, the stakes are not nearly as high for them in following that advice as they are for you, right? So, like, sure. if it's wrong, you know, or if it's half cocked, or if it's not well thought out, for them. And the, the other side of it too, I think what's probably more common is that uh, they maybe don't tell you the the hard truth that you need to hear because the stakes aren't high for them. You know, maybe they're thinking, man, if I tell him that he's maybe he's just not cut out to be a business owner, it's going to ruin our friendship. You know, but that might be, you know, if you had a business, if you had a partner, a fifty-fifty partner, you know, they might they might say, hey, look, like my livelihood's tied up in this too. Like, you're just not good at these kinds of decisions. You need to let me handle this, or we need to get an expert in here to help us figure this out. Um, so you guys have that. Like, it's the stakes are equally high for both of you. And so it keeps you from either half-assing it, you know, when getting into a problem, but it also, I think, probably forces you guys to be really, really honest with each other because the outcome's going to affect you both.
2: Hmm. It, it goes... Um, at, Early on in, when, in your career, or if you're a startup, or you're in it every day as the single owner, or even if there's partnerships, you have to, you're in it every day. You're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And when you hear someone who's tenured or been in business and successful, you've got to work on your business and not in your business. That's a hard pill to swallow when every day to day the doors, I open the doors and turn the lights on and I lock the doors. I, I don't have time. Uh, to step outside and do an off-site meeting with my team and spend the whole day and make and pay them payroll. You know, it's not until you get to that certain point. But C12, it is equally as important that you have to step back and work on the business instead of in it. And our perspectives on that have have, have greatly changed and see so much value in it. And it's kind of the, you have to be humble enough in receiving that information from a C-12 member. And it's kind of the Gordon Ramsay of food. You know, I have a failing restaurant, and I think the food is the greatest. Everyone loves it. And then when he comes in, you're just, he takes you out of the knees. You know, your food's terrible. You need to receive that. And you need to, you, you, you've got to pivot. So you can think you have the greatest product, but if no one's willing to buy it, it's not. <laughs> And to take an outside perspective and receive it as I need to listen. And, and I'm not saying you have to change everything, but you need to. It, it holds weight and value, and, and we welcome all of that. And we're never too proud to say that. Yeah, we we invested so much money into this, trying to go this direction, but it's not working. We need to cut our losses and 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 pivot. And being able to receive that information and not be too proud.
0: Yeah. Well, I think when we, uh, you guys were elaborating on some of the stuff that you do, like the off-site quarterlies and the daily huddles and the biweekly um, operations meetings with the leadership team. and. This is another area where I wonder of uh, having a a partner is kind of a distinct advantage because there's a, there was a time when you guys maybe weren't doing daily huddles. There was a time when you weren't doing bi-weeklies. There was a time when it was your like third quarterly offsite, right? And one partner might be thinking, I don't know, like is this is this really the way to go, or just not feeling it, like buried in the details, buried in the weeds of the business. And the other partner's like, hey, we got to get ready for this offsite. Like, this is important. And that, there, it could ebb and flow where at different times, one or the other is willing to step back and work on the business. Where left to their own devices, a single owner might take a pass. Mm-hmm. Might be like, man, we're just too busy. Awesome. And, <laughs> you know, so do you guys see that happening? Or is that, has that been part of the journey of putting some of these, these new things in place?
2: It's been a part of the journey, um, but our perspective of the 13-year-ago, looking at it and what are we going to do, is going to work. We're going to work on our business, and, and it's through outside counsel and being humble enough to say, we failed there. We need to improve it. And, and having those huddles, we don't have, we, you get caught up in having meetings to have meetings and before you know it you had an all day meeting and nothing got accomplished. So we try to make them engaging um, important and and people want to show up because there's a purpose. And and we don't have meetings just to have meetings. So we saw the value a long time ago and through trial and error to realize that we always have to take a step back and you'll find that if in your day to day business as busy as you may be if if a client pulls you away for two hours that's two hours lost and you'll find a way to make up whatever it was that you were due that day right so take those two hours and and pay yourself first work on the business and we've all we've just taken that approach and still do and uh, not saying we used to because we did not and it was um, it was trial and error and the importance of it, and making the time. You know, C12 is an all-day off-site event, so the, it seemed daunting to be able, I, I'm gonna take a day off to hear someone tell me the good and bad about my business. And, and it's one of the most important things we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't stop, and it's it's invaluable. Yeah.
3: So you have to do it. Yep. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now, back to the episode.
0: When you guys uh, think it, of the last year, it's obviously for a lot of businesses, you know, COVID started up, you know, around this time last year. It was around March that we started seeing counties in California shut down and we kind of saw it coming this direction toward the East Coast. Uh, what was your experience last year and, and how did it, you know, how did the fifty fifty partnership play into some of the things you guys had to adapt to or, or were there any ma- major changes you had to make?
1: Yeah. So being that we're a payroll company um, last year with COVID was uh, had a big impact on us. Um, we're <clears throat> heavily into the service industry down here, which is obviously the majority of the of the businesses. We do a lot of restaurants in the surrounding counties and obviously restaurants got uh, impacted greatly by mm-hmm. COVID. So we definitely had to had to, to make some changes within the business. Uh how, you know, some of the operating side of it, uh, um, regulations that came through um, in a matter of, of days that had to be implemented in payroll, just from FFCRA rules, um, being able to pay uh, employees that, uh, that were COVID affected, um, those all came through. So it was a mad dash to figure all of that out that was coming down from Washington and be able to implement that in the procedures and be able to get that information out to our clients. So it was a busy year last year. Um, and uh, ultimately, at the end of the year, surprisingly enough, we had a, a, a great fourth quarter. Uh, we grew last year, which was unexpected. Um, and uh, I think we had, um, it was good and bad.
2: Good, good in the fact that the general public's eyes were opened. This is happening so fast. You've got PPP coming out, and you don't know what you're in the beginning of that. Everyone, it's just another governmental thing that I don't know that I even qualify for. (laughs) So having to, um, we had a huge influx of new business. I can't figure this out. I need support and assistance. So we had an influx of new business, yet our existing business, and especially in the hospitality, everyone's getting laid off and furloughed, and, and what do we do? So our service and call volume do I furlough them? Do I lay them off? Do I, what do I do? And, and what's the latest? So our payroll numbers went down from existing business, but new business, everyone saw the value and having additional support to guide them through everything that's going on. And it's still taking place today. So um, it's been good. And for us, we, because of we have no debt, um we insured the staff. We don't know what the future holds, but we're gonna hang on as long as we possibly can and no one was without any hours
1: for us. Um uh, we, we, didn't didn't we, did, we didn't miss a beat. Yeah, so. we didn't have to lay any staff off. Um so um so it was good. And and I think, you know, some of the things that the services that we provide, Jamie was kind of alluding to that. We had businesses coming after us asking us questions because our software tracks a lot of the numbers that the government was asking in order to get the loans and then now for the forgiveness side of it as well. So we were a big asset to a lot of yeah. co- a lot of companies.
0: So your your the customer service side of what you guys do really kind of took front and center stage because like you guys don't get paid extra to run no. all kinds <laughs> of reports, right? Or dive into. No.
1: And we were bombarded with those questions, yeah. and and it was just part of our service that yeah. we had yeah, no additional fees for those.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I like what you said, um, you know, about just assuring the team, like. We're going to be OK. We had one other uh, we had a client of ours um, who very deliberately did. The, and of course, everybody's remote, right? The office shuts down. Everybody's working out of their homes. They took IP phones home. They took computers home. And, you know, now we're trying to figure out how to manage a remote workforce. And so they had an all hands conference call with 25 or 30 people. And one of the first things the owner said was we don't want you guys to worry about where the money's going to come from that's our responsibility as owners. You guys just focus on doing the job that we've hired you to do and telling us how you can do it better. And, um, and he relayed to us the volume of, of feedback he got back through emails and text messages and phone calls of how much they appreciated being able to go back to their spouse at dinner that night and say, Hey, the boss said, don't worry about the, the money side of the business, that's their responsibility. Um, I mean, I can imagine that a lot of people didn't do that, right? And then some of it's because maybe the, the boss is freaked out too. The boss just genuinely doesn't know or maybe has a lot of debt or doesn't have cash reserves or doesn't have another partner to talk him off the cliff and say, hey, like, you're freaking out right now uh, and it's causing everybody else to freak out. Like, we need to reassure these folks.
2: We, we've always taken the approach, whatever... There's always opportunity in every adversity, so even with that, we're we you can see how do we get through this PPP and everything's going out. We need to be out telling the story. We've got this. We got you, and and that's what we did. And we got a new administration, so we're looking at what's going to be changing in healthcare, and does it mean now you you have to buy healthcare back through. Uh, whatever governmental agencies are going to exist we're trying to be out in front of these to create opportunities regardless of what changes we've got you and that's always been in, in everything so every time there is something catastrophic we're looking for the opportunity in it and what are we going to do to one, help the community our team members first but then what can we do to get out front and be able to support and get them through what we're doing? I mean, that was our our livelihood is making sure everyone gets a paycheck, not just within our company, but everyone we support. So how can I ensure that they qualify for the PPP loans to keep their employees employed and their families fed? And we tried to learn and, and get that message out as fast as we possibly could.
0: When you think back to life in like 2019, before we saw any of this coming, and you think about your business operations and the way you guys just did stuff, and then maybe some of the changes you had to make as a result of COVID and dealing with with other things in 2020, is there anything that's stuck? Uh, that now is is part of like the come like you're saying jamie there 's opportunity and everything. did you guys find opportunities to change some of your business operations or the ways that you do things that are just better now because of you were forced to
2: there's working from home okay um i'm one and our and our sales manager too is very big on um the camaraderie that takes place. When everyone's together and the competition and everything that goes on, even within our service team, the ability to just have normal interaction. And now we don't know what that looks like. And we we have always been on the fence. We don't own the building that we're in. And it has been a battle between David and I. Do we go out and buy a building? What do we do? Now we're at the point of we don't have any seats left. Do we follow suit with the work-from-home Future workspace? Do we need a building now or do we start uh, parting out and have everyone work from home? So, one of the, the, I guess, if there was a challenge, is how do we do that with the amount of fraud and making sure that everyone is set up at home uh, to do their job efficiently and and effectively? And securely. And securely. Yeah. So, we, From apparel perspective, we didn't allow that to happen yet, Um, but sales obviously can work from remote. Uh, Some additional service staff can work remote. Uh, And so doing things a little bit differently, we are more receptive to that than we ever have been before. And if you had asked me in 2019, I need half your staff to work from home, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, it's going to be... the the future and we even have younger workforce that are coming in and almost having that expectation can I work from home two days a week it's not your benefit packages part of it is I want to work from home two days a week Uh and from an old timer that's tough That's tough for me to swallow you've got to then put into place the ability to manage them and hold them accountable without knowing you know what's happening so that's a struggle for us, that was a big change, and we are, I will have to say, more receptive to it now than we've ever been. And it forced us to do that, as well as many companies. Um, we know overnight, you had to figure it out. And we had our staff spread out. And, and, and out of that comes redundancy, security. We learned a lot, and, and it could work in our favor. And in many cases, for our business to be able to work from home.
1: We've learned a lot. I mean, we've adapted to the, you know, now Zoom Zoom meetings are, are the norm. Um, so, you know, our interaction and communication with our clients, um, we, we do our trainings uh, with video sometimes. Uh, even from the sales perspective, they're doing more and more Zoom Zoom phone calls uh, that, uh, that way. And so, you know, COVID has changed change the world. And there's a lot of things that have been implemented in the business that I don't think will ever be, um, ever be brought back to the norms of, of 19. So, yeah.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's shift the conversation for a few minutes as we wrap up then. And let's talk about your specific business. So Jamie, you already alluded to it. We've kind of, we were kind of keeping the cat in the bag, you know, for a little while, like, what is it that you guys do and, and what does your day to day interaction look like? So, if you would just kind of go back and recap that and like what's the business of iBusiness Solutions?
2: I'll digress a little bit. I know our all lines agency days where we were doing insurance, and there's a great deal of revenue in insurance as we, we all know, and, and we worked alongside other brand name payroll companies that were providing us the ability to do insurance for them. And we learned kind of the power of payroll and uh, the ability to get payroll into an account and then get access to their insurance. And then with that, it, it was kind of a, a layman's. As the industry grows, the term payroll is kind of going to the wayside. Everyone can process, you can do payroll on your own, you can do it in Tuit, on your CPA, um a lot of different platforms for you to be able to manage payroll on your own but it's kind of a thing in the past now we need the ability to manage my employees staff um, from hire to retire and so as we morphed into uh payroll we took a whole new perspective and it's not just payroll it's the human capital management how do i manage my staff and we looked to we can't be all things to all people and some of the the peo model um leasing arrangements were kind of birthed and we're in the mecca of a leasing arrangement so we take that as a, that model and and break it down to on an aso side so you're not co-employed with us however uh, that payroll workers comp and health benefits little trifecta works really, really well together. So we manage them uh, all in one suite, and it's not an all or none, it is a la carte. However, our payroll solution, when I say payroll, our human capital management technology is first and foremost, it can process payroll in its sleep, but it's all about how do I manage my multi-locations? How do I, you, you can't manage, you know, that um, without having data. So constant, it can produce um, all kind of data in the form of managing staff.
1: To kind of pick up on that as well, so as Jamie alluded, the, the payroll industry has been changing um, over the last decade, 15 years, uh, pretty pretty dramatically. And so uh, our clients are not looking for us to be able to just send their taxes and, and cut the paychecks. They're looking for help with talent acquisition. So, um, the software that we use is a very progressive software, and they're um, uh, very well funded. They're they're forward thinkers. They're looking at what uh, what are the needs of clients that are going to be five years, ten years down the road, and they're developing those services within the single database of the software to be able to to uh, help clients. And so. Our system, uh, like Jamie had mentioned, from hire to fire, it has applicant tracking, it has onboarding, it has learning management systems in it, human capital, you can do performance reviews, all the time stuff is built into it. Ten years ago, that wasn't available. You had to piece it together. You had to buy a time clock, you had to buy a different, you know, uh, um, uh, human human management or, or HR uh, software and you had to figure out how to work all that together now it's in one system one database one login that allows you to manage all of those employees uh, and we, that's where we're going
2: Yeah, we went from looking at payroll as uh, an opportunity to get access to the insurance to it's our leader uh, it's what we do now more than anything else and um, we still do a great deal of workers' compensation and, and health benefits, employee benefits. We do a lot of it. However, um, it isn't payroll. Isn't just something we dabble in and to get access to it. It's so much more, and it's evolved. And whether it's ten employees or a thousand, multi-location, I, we're processing in 36 different states. Um, those multi locations to make sure you're able to manage one location identically like the other is what the software does.
0: So, what do your what's your typical customer look like? Describe what these businesses look like in the real world.
2: We don't have a specific say. Um, we're we're real strong in hospitality, or we're um, because it is payroll related. We have them um, all over. So whether it's construction. To hospitality, to um,
1: manufacturing, ma-
2: manufacturing—it's all—it's all over the place. we're Ideally, um, multi-location, uh, ten employees to to a thousand, our our sweet spot. We are heavily—we're in Florida, so you don't get a great deal small business capital, I think. And so, if you've got five employees, we welcome it. If you've got five hundred employees. They are the ones that really need the full suite uh, hire to retire, and when we go into these larger five hundred plus accounts they've they have all of these, but they're they're bolt ons like David was described they're purchased h r from one and then they have their time and attendance is with x and so they have all of these components that don't talk to each other and they're paying fees and services and dealing with all these separate organizations where our our payroll platform and our software is one database. It's all integrated. There's no bolt-on. There's no. Uh, if we say accidents happen at the intersections when you try to add something to something else, that's where uh, uh, challenges happen. We don't have any of that. Time and attendance is it's built in. Uh, so average um, customer probably Manatee and Sarasota where we're headquartered. Uh, That's probably average. I think we're at 27. So, average number of employees in our local area is, uh, I think, 27.
0: Okay. What are you seeing? uh, You know, with COVID, obviously, I mean, there's some things that those businesses are dealing with. Um, You know, what are you seeing in terms of the small business market? Like, anytime we get somebody in front of us and, like, your clients are small businesses. Uh, what do you see them facing right now that is going to be significant over the next year, five years, ten years?
1: Um, getting staff right now, acquiring talent, is, is probably one of the most difficult times that we've ever faced. And um, so to be able to, uh, first of all, find the right people, um, and then be able to make sure that you're offering the packages and the benefits that are necessary to, to get them in and keep them um, is going to be huge over the next couple of years. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, we have high unemployment rate this moment, but for whatever reason, getting qualified, uh, talented people to come to your organization is one of the conversations that we have quite a bit with our, with mm-hmm. our clients.
0: Yeah, we, we've, uh, we've run across this a few times, uh, different conversations we've had where it seems like Florida is kind of in a bubble you know, it's we're we're not experiencing. You talk to people in other parts of the country, northeast and and west, particularly somewhat Midwest, but mostly north east, northeast and west. They're still dealing with widespread mm-hmm. industrial type shutdowns, like specific segments are completely shut down, whether it's hospitality or travel or. Uh, or um, co-work arrangements, like we've got a lot of people in specific rooms. There's limitations on how many people can be in a business at a certain time. Obviously, retail is being hit. But here, as you said, the argument that we hear day in and day out is like, I need people, I need mm-hmm. people, especially skilled trades. And It's just kind of the world we live a lot in, in like, business, blue-collar fleet businesses that have skilled trades, whether it's roofing or AC or plumbing or... Um, home services type stuff Uh, and it's interesting that you you guys are getting like pulled you're recognizing a need that precedes the need your current product meets which is like once i hire somebody now i gotta find a way to manage them like actually there's a step before that so are you guys making strides to try to address that to to meet that need with customers what's the or you just just saying like this is something everybody's facing right now
2: it's something everyone's facing um our stuff we don't have like talent acquisition in the form of um, like we don't have a talent pool out there that you can draw from uh, We do have onboarding systems that allow that function to be as streamlined and as easy as possible. A new hire will onboard themselves and there's no application process per se that you would typically go through. An email goes out to the new potential employee. And they completely onboard themselves and a couple of buttons. Now they're in the system and they're hired. Uh, we just see it's just something that's just constantly, it's a conversation piece that happens every single day. Can't acquire people. What's, if there's this massive uh, unemployment, where are they? Right. And why aren't they coming back to work if they are laid off? And you can say that you know, they're getting the, the unemployment additional dollars and they're not wanting to come back. There may be some of that. I I think we're kind of fortunate that, I think we're still, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the second fastest growing community and have been three or four years in a row in the entire country. So it's just booming here and that's just what we witness all the time. Um, So it's, construction doesn't stop here. So having the ability to just acquire good Quality people has always been challenging,
1: and I don't think if there, there's necessarily like a magic wand on how you get those people, but you definitely need to streamline it and make that process, the process of how you're getting it, um, more automated and more streamlined. And that's, you know, if you if you're not using something like an applicant tracking system, uh, it's something that most businesses are going to be using. It used to be, you know, in the past, you had to have hundreds of employees before that was financially uh, feasible for you to be able to do that. Now we have m- clients that have 10, 15 employees, um, and they're u- utilizing an applicant tracking system. So that's going to be one of the things that I think uh, is going to be a need for most businesses.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. There used to be, um, like, significant, I don't want to say, barriers to entry, it's not the right word, but like hurdles for an applicant to jump through. So I'm thinking like, I'm going to really date myself, like back when you had to, you had to drop off your resume, you know, or if like you're really sophisticated, you could fax your resume into the business that was, and so I got to, you know, I've got to make the time, number one, I have to create the document. I got to have some facility or know somebody who can format it and put it together and word process it and print it and deliver it and get it to the right person and follow up with a phone call. And now I can go, somebody will walk me through, whether it's an indeed or, or, or some other platform will walk me through, like, tell us this, tell us this, you know, tell us your, where did you go to school? Pick from a drop down, what years, you know, pick from this menu of skills that you have Pick from this menu. And they, and then it's like here are 40 jobs that match your criteria. Would you like to apply for all of them at once? And you push That's a button, a right? Yeah. And so, so we have a the, the flip side of that is now we have HR folks inside businesses who are not able to spend the time where they would have spent it maybe 15 or 20 years ago, which is like actually interviewing people who are are potentials. Now they're weeding through, you know, 40 feet of crap to get to, the, the gyms in there somewhere
2: you, you used to be when you were looking for employment you were intentional about it um, i want to work here and you would apply now it's exactly with the monsters and zip recruiters and indeed they're blasting resumes out all over and when you call to schedule or make arrangements yeah. uh, it's who are you again they mm-hmm. really don't know and and it's it's very difficult so it's supportive for you trying to find a job but from the employer it's been very difficult to, to weed through that and then finally they agree to come in and they don't show up uh, it's difficult so probably one of the biggest successes we see is if you incentivize your own staff uh who do you know yeah uh, you know, rather than trying to go through that it's always um, put in some type of incentive as a incentive program to your own staff to you love working here. Go tell your friends who else can we employ uh, that can be a part of the same team that you are. And some of the greatest success has been just within.
0: You know, I, was, I was reading uh, on LinkedIn this morning. I I got involved in this thread uh, where somebody was saying, uh, you know, you need to put the salary range in the job description and stop wasting people's time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was coming from, and I've heard this uh, firsthand from people coming out of school or you know younger workers and it's like they're they feel like they're being used to check a box that we had three applicants that we interviewed you know and they they'd already made up their mind or it's just like a it's it's a wild goose chase right and so what struck me about the conversation is that in so many areas of of our world business world whether it's buying a car or i can pretty much Buy commercial real estate and negotiate the entire thing through LoopNet. You know, Zillow right. is now making cash offers yeah. on homes. Mm-hmm. Carvana will deliver a car to my driveway, um, and it's this rapid dissemination and, and transparency of information. Um, but it seems like our employment practices, when it comes to you know trying to recruit and and, and retain good people it still tends to be somewhat of a black box mm-hmm. and it's exciting for me to hear you talk about things like applicant tracking systems that maybe take some of that guesswork out of it, Agreed. maybe allow us to get more information, a little bit more insight into who's applying and, you know, weed out the, the ones that have just clicked the button from the ones who are really serious and a good fit.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is one of the greatest assets with having an, a, an applicant tracking system is you can ask pre-interview questions on on that and you can weed out people who don't meet the criteria. So rather than putting a job post on Indeed and having 50 applicants come back, you're able to actually ask them, you know, some some legitimate questions to uh, qualify them or pre-qualify them and then, you know, either accept the application or not accept the application.
2: Especially at a higher level, sometimes people tend to embellish their resume a little bit, but through these line of questionings, um, it won't allow them to even the pass through if they don't check the box. So you can definitely um, weed through a little bit of the embellishment and maybe a little bit of the BS by
1: having a series of questions to go through. So it does help. And not to mention, like, our ATS system uh, links up with, I think, 80 different job, job boards. So you, you create one resume and post it, and it's, it's out you know, amongst the, the, all of the different uh, boards that are out there which makes it nice.
0: What are some of the things that you see when you get involved, like a brand new customer, right? Maybe the, like what are the sins of the past, maybe from a, either from a payroll, from a benefits, from an HR management, uh, workman's comp standpoint, um, that you guys go in and like, wow, like here's some low hanging fruit. When I mean, it could be stuff you see a lot, it could be stuff that, you know, maybe you don't see it a lot, but when you do see it, it's very consequential that um and I'm thinking particularly of the businesses that maybe have been doing their own payroll through like an Intuit, you know, using QuickBooks and sign up for the payroll service. Or they got snagged early on from one of those big name we'll stay away from naming the guilty, but one of the bigger name payroll providers that have these, you know, smaller business units where you know we have typically seen a, a horrible level of service and follow-up and, you know, insight offered. What are the things that you're seeing when you get involved with those types of businesses?
2: It's just that. Um, The inability to service, the inability to get through to speak to someone or being transferred from department to department to not, uh, to re-explain your whole situation all over again, how frustrating is it? And when you talk about time uh, throughout your day to address a sensitive situation like payroll, we we kind of have a, we coined a phrase, you never can have a perfect payroll. Uh, we could be 10 years and never have a mistake. And, and even if, it's, if it happens on the employer side, somehow it's still our problem. So you can never have a perfect payroll. So just doing our best, uh, and there aren't many situations that we haven't seen so we try to cover them in the beginning if we have something that we learn from our mistakes is we have a very very robust technology to manage employees if we open that system up in the beginning it's going to frustrate confuse so we we how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time so we timeline things if if you if you want now uh um, as we, payroll is first and foremost, let's get you set up. Make sure employees are getting paid, and then each month there's a regimented training segment on how to open up the system, to to better learn, educate, and and train on it. So, learning from our mistakes is doing it a little bit slower.
0: Do you see um, with the folks who maybe haven't experienced the lack of service? Maybe they've been DIY type shops what do you see in there what's the biggest kind of like aha moment for them after a week or 90 days or a first year of of having somebody else that knows a lot more about payroll and benefits and workman's comp run it
1: i think just the automation side of it too Um, so when you're when you're processing with intuit it's a basic payroll package they cut your checks for you they process your taxes for you and they do your year ends and that's the that's kind of the entry level side of it but when you start adding these components in, where you're being able to actually manage your workforce through your your software, through the payroll software side of it, mm-hmm. and automate your like performance reviews, um, automate your time off requests, automate so that part of it once they get in the the uh, swing of things and understand how all of that is set up. Um, it, it frees up time on their end. So they're, they're grateful um, to be able to have that. And once you get it, you don't ever want to lose it, um, you know, moving forward. So that's so a big.
2: We find that most companies, even if they're using Intuit, they still have all these other, i say, bolt-on elements. They still have time and attendance. They still have a CRM. They still have all of these that they're paying for. Why not just, it, it doesn't cost you any more. Just incorporate payroll into that. So now, all those systems are talking to you. You enter at one time, they onboard themselves, they're automatically in time and attendance, they're automatically in HR, they're automatically, it just eliminates duplicative efforts, and ultimately, I can't put a number to it, it's typically way more cost-effective to have our solution than outsourcing all these different elements. When you have a challenge with it, you've got to call that customer service, instead you call one number, and everything's all-inclusive. Another big thing that helps us is no one likes IRS notices. So the first time they've tried to do it on their own and they get one of those, <laughs> we're getting a phone call. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't do something right.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that, that's always a
0: help. Well, we joked about it earlier. Um, the truth is payroll is incredibly complex. <laughs> and I remember uh, David telling me the story of like when you guys had the, the kind of aha moment of, look, like we really need to be in this payroll market. We need to be able to not be beholden to the bigger players who aren't as good at delivering as we think we can be. And, David, you were the one who drew the short straw <laughs> and had to go travel the country and you know go I mean, to school right. and learn, like, okay, like how does payroll work? How are we going to scale it up? What are, what are our customers going to experience? And, um, and one of the things I appreciated that I have used multiple times with, with clients who are going through a change Uh, is something you said, which is like the first one, like the chances of it being spot on are like 0.0001%, you know, and just being able to set that expectation um, is the start of building a relationship, because like the other companies don't set that expectation. Like, Oh, it's going to be the salesperson's up. Oh, it's going to be great. You know, you're going to love it. It's going to be fantastic. And then payroll's two days late or somebody doesn't get paid or, Everybody gets paid, but the 1099 person that you know we forgot to include in the in the stack who was on the old payroll system as 1099. So, I think you guys um, set the bar in terms of setting expectations and just being honest with people about the reality. Payrolls incredibly complex,
1: and, and it's not getting any easier. So, <laughs> right. like you know, we, we uh, all yeah, the right. stuff that we're talking about. Um, it is, it, it, that's one of our biggest challenges. So the software company that we use, it's, it's a, it's called iSolve and, um, they do releases. So a normal, if you have a normal software company that you're working with, they may do quarterly or semi-annual releases. Our software vendor does releases every six weeks. So part of our challenge is figuring out what's coming out in the release. How is it going to affect our clients? How are we going to communicate that to our clients? And and be able to keep, uh, you know, keep ahead of that, and so it's just a growing. I mean, it's a crazy growing industry right this moment. And, and in five years, it's not going to look like the, the what it looks like today. So, it is uh, that's a that's a challenge. Well, I
0: think one of the things that we've uh, I've definitely heard this multiple times is the people, uh, the 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 companies that for whatever reason. Um, it it could be they they have 150 employees and there was a time 10 years ago when it got super, super expensive, either under a PEO relationship or some other type of, of payroll set up. And they're like, hey, you know, we could just hire our own person for X thousand dollars a year and just take it in house. Um, and I, I I will always kind of question that because I see all the other things that get added to this individual's plate because it's not just payroll. It's also HR. It's OSHA compliance. It's um, benefits management. Hmm. You know, even like things like managing the merchant credit card relationship that we want to go out for every three years. Like at some point accounting didn't have time for it. So, Oh, the HR person can help with that. Now that's on their plate. And what we saw this last year with all the PPP, Legislation and the CARES Act legislation is these people got quickly out of their depth. Like, there was no way, when you talk about the paid leave mandate Uh by itself, and just like our system won't even tell us what this is, you know, there's gonna be no way, literally no way for us to report on these numbers. So, we're gonna have to keep spreadsheets and tally marks and who's been out and who hasn't been out. I just don't see how that is sustainable. As complex as payroll is becoming, and we so, haven't even talked about the benefits, Mark.
2: Yeah. No, so, and, and sorry, and, it, and it's trying. That data has to come from your payroll company, from your CPA, from your, your attorney, ben- from benefits. your benefits provider, agent, whomever, to get them to talk together. One's pointing the finger at the other one. It, it's it's insane. We have go to the report, put in your parameters, your date ranges, and the report spits out exactly how yeah. the PPP be submitted for forgiveness. That's been a godsend. Uh, uh, our, yeah, uh,
1: our software company has actually developed a, a PPP loan forgiveness report that our clients can go in. Put some basic information in and it basically prints out their loan forgiveness application for them. It matches
2: matches their forgiveness. application. You mentioned kind of relationship and and we don't have, uh, I don't want to, it sounds cliche that we have the best service and we don't even say that. Um, Our model for 2021 is customer experience. So difference between customer experience versus customer service. So we have and are promoting a customer experience model. Anticipate the need Before they do, if they're struggling because they can't manage um, shift differentials, or I can't, um, from their time in attendance, if there's words come out of their mouth, then we need to talk to them uh, about having these programs in place. So, having a different, a true relationship is is key, and. It isn't cliche, it is something that we do. We try to deliver a customer experience, not customer service. That's what we're supposed to do, it's what we get paid to do. But how do we communicate well? And one of our core values is simplicity. How do we take this massively complex technology and deliver it in the most simplest form? And that's what we try to do. You know, Some people just want to know that I, I report payroll in and they, as long as they show up on Thursday that I can hand them out on Friday. That's all I want, and then others want to utilize the system to its fullest, and we need to road map that. We need to we need to plan that out so that it doesn't become overwhelming, and it's garbage in, garbage out. So how do so our core one of our core values internally and externally is just simplicity. It is very robust. Now, how do we deliver that in a layman's form that everyone's going to understand it and be able to get up to speed as quickly as possible?
0: Okay. Very good. Well, uh, I appreciate all the time you've given us. It's been insightful, both from a partnership, you know, how do I get along in a 50-50 business marriage, uh, down to the brass tacks of what's changing in the payroll landscape. So thank you guys both. Um, it's nice to know you're out there. We we use you as a resource quite often. Uh, David and I were on the phone pretty much every day during mm. PPP <laughs> stuff. I'm like, what do you think about this? What does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, So it's really nice to know that there is a resource that's on top of it, um, but also incredibly concerned with the experience. That's pretty huge. So thank you guys both for being here,
1: and I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you, guys.
0: Before we wrap up, uh, I do want to go back and and can we spend some time talking about um, the remote work piece that you guys experienced? And just, you know, this can be like very free ranging and we don't have to get into, you know, what, just feel free to kind of speak off the cuff and we'll decide what makes sense to listen. But what did you guys, what what did you guys find when it comes to managing a remote workforce? Because you said a couple things that I hadn't thought of before, like one, like security, Mm. I mean that's huge. You think yeah. about payroll and the access to information that people have and who might be looking over their shoulder or how their their systems at home might be compromised. To so talk about that for a second.
1: So when when uh COVID hit last year, we like every other business had to make that decision on who gets sent home and 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 who stays and it was basically, you know, from a safety standpoint. I mean, we were concerned about our employees as well. So Um, We made the decision that the entire uh, uh, sales staff, the service teams for the insurance side of it, could all go and work remote. The payroll department never went home, and it never went home based on two factors. Number one, we, we at the time, couldn't secure the information to make sure that all of that data was uh, going to be, you know, on computers that had the right viruses or virus controls on them and that no one was looking over their shoulders and that that you know because they're working with files as well and so those files had to stay in house as well that was one thing the other thing is is out of our office in lakewood ranch all of the physical checks are actually printed um, packed out and sent out as well so that aspect could not have been done remote at the time right so the payroll department stayed in house we spread everybody out we made sure everyone was safe from that standpoint. And so, um, and then after a couple months, we brought the rest of the staff back. So some of the key managers
2: have separate systems that they're working from at home that, that we know are set up and correctly. Did you guys provide those systems? Yes. Okay. So
0: yes. you know, like, what software they're running, Correct. The operating system, and how it's locked down. And we have an
1: IT department that's monitoring all the computers and all that kind of stuff okay. as well. So yes. still in the back of our minds...
2: The guys and the folks that are trying to fraud us, uh, we're a payroll firm, so it happens quite often, um, are very smart. So we feel we're pretty good at it, but there's always the unknown. We don't know what we don't know. So we have limited that, and it will be a work in progress to ensure before we allow, say, that sensitive information to be accessed from at the home level. So we do have, uh, from a health insurance perspective, the HIPAA compliant portion and, and social security numbers and things of that nature. So those are on lockdown, too, and there's only certain people who are allowed to have access through our own systems. Um, so that is continued. We are we have kind of an appointment to re-engage IT. We outsource um, IT for ourselves um, to just what do we have to do and then what... This is goes to all businesses. What procedures do we to, to put into place to be able to manage them? And should it be now a part of us as a business owner, I'm asking the question almost, is are we to supply them with all of this to ensure that it gets done, which so is another added expense, uh, the phone's adequate Internet, adequate security, adequate uh, three screens for them to be able to work off of and we're struggling with that right now frankly but the most important part whether it's it's the laptops that some of them we provide to make sure that there's not crossover that they're not utilizing that for personal aspects and and creating email platforms that can allow you to bring in something viruses and such and get hacked
0: yeah i think like the bring your own device policies that we've seen kind of take since smartphones came into play and there's like, I want a Samsung or I want an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then it became like, well, I want a Mac or I want a Dell. Right. So I think some of that kind of prepared us for it, but not like there's a huge, it prepared it for the people who the salespeople who's like, they're going to have a laptop. Mm -hmm. Right. But the large majority of, of the issues that we heard from clients is like, we have to unplug a desktop computer and, two monitors and get them set up at home and do they have Verizon Spectrum, what Bright kind of House, or, yeah. yeah. Um like are they gonna you be on know, a Wi Fi network that their kids are gonna be on? You know, does it have a pass? I mean right. it's just like do they even and, and then from the, the standpoint of uh just environment, like are they gonna be taking phone calls while there's a dog yapping in, in the background? Like so we had an uh, interesting a friend of mine who their, their whole business model the company he worked with was a financial education company and um, their whole business model was remote employees they had one office in the northeast but there was like three or four people there in IT and everybody else was around the country and for you to work there they had to approve your home office setup Wow! even to the point of like well if you close in that wall <laughs> and you darken that window <laughs> then we will hire you kind of stuff and that's not, that's hard when you're taking somebody out of an office and saying like we need you to work from home immediately mm. you can't necessarily stipulate those kind of things but
1: well it's funny you say that because uh, years ago this is pre pre-covid um, we were actually working on a, a big laundry uh, uh, account laundry uh, laundry uh, firm account or where they did bedding for hospitality for right. hotels all right. over okay right and the the controller there is we were meeting with her was they were working with a payroll company that had outsourced all of their, uh, they had outsourced all of their service staff, and they were at home, and that was one of her major complaints. Was every time she called, there was a kid crying in the background <laughs> or a dog barking, yeah. and she couldn't, for the life of her, life of her, figure out why they were allowing that to happen. So that has just stuck in the back of my head as well.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's kind of that's already in a very short period of time. That's the norm. So now there's going to be a dog barking. You're going to hear the doorbell ring. You're going to hear Amazon show up, throw a package yeah. on the front porch of whoever you're speaking with. And and the Zoom meetings are unbelievable. The guy yeah. that I typically see in a suit dressed to the nines hasn't shaven in a month. <laughs> and is hardly recognizable. And we're on Zoom. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure if he has pants on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's okay now. So. That part I think we just got to skip over, yeah. and we're more concerned about getting the job done, and what are the security measures, and do we have to, we need to make sure that we have every, it's bad enough that we we've, we've got to put all these measures in place to secure our office. Now I'm extremely concerned about how do these folks work from home without being breached, and not just for us, I mean, we have to look at it globally, this is happening, and it happened whether we wanted to or not and is your information now out there so we we're being very delicate about it and we haven't fully rolled it out until we feel extremely comfortable with it but it's going to be something it's just happening now and people don't want to come back
0: there's a part of me that feels like we're kind of in a honeymoon period with this where it is okay not to be you know shaven in four days (laughs) or to have the the cat constantly walking across the background um But with as with a lot of things, I think, you know, you guys heard it firsthand. It's it's acceptable until it's not. And all it takes is a competitor in your same space to to have clean shaven people with well lit workspaces where it's almost indistinguishable, whether they're home from work Uh, they're available during the hours they're supposed to be. And so I think what I envision, we we have a client that's in the commercial real estate market, and they're saying some of the reports they're getting from the analysts are that it's going to be 2023 when the resurgence in office space and and Class A office space kind of comes back. But 2021, 2022 is is still going to be, you're going to see some continued pullback from large workforces embracing the work from home. But I have to think that the resurgence is going to be is going to be kind of the backlash of the unshaven, you know, cat infested home office. So it's yes. like, we have to now, okay. There's the other thing that, uh, is interesting. And you, you alluded to it during the podcast of, of like, uh, the, the next generation we'll pick on Devin here. Oh, he's our, he's our token millennial. <laughs>
3: um,
0: but, the um and and he hates that because there's so much in his character that runs against yeah, the stereotype but but <laughs> um but you said like they almost expect work two days from home um and i think you know i'm thinking to myself like we we we're talking to somebody about joining our team and he came in and spent some time with us this past week like we we had lunch at this table and um and i talked to him afterwards and he said you know i i like that like you know, I, I, and he has been working remote you know, as part of a distributed workforce for the last several years. And he, and you could tell he misses that like mm-hmm. he wants that connection, that face to face connection and interpersonal relationship that only happens when they're in the same space at the same time. Um, but he's close to my age. Right. So I, I wonder how much of this um, shift it, it really is generational where like my generation, a lot of our identity was at work. I mean, the, the I've got a group of friends that I've known for 20 years because I worked with their wives in the same office, mm-hmm. and we started going to happy hours together and hanging on weekends and taking vacations together, and th- that was just normal. Right. It was like, of yes. course, I'm going to find the people and the 20 or 30 people I work with. I'm going to find my people, mm-hmm. and now we have so many more outlets for finding our people, whether it's through social media or. Or, or more homogenous groups, like we're starting to see there's less people who think different than us, um, and I can just kind of live in my own echo chamber, but not necessarily have to spend a lot of time with those folks. The,
2: the generations that are coming up, if you look at it, the access to information, if when I was a kid and I wanted to go see my friend, I jumped on my bicycle and went down and banged on the door and hoping he was home. What do you got now? Kids don't, they get their driver's license two and three years later. They they communicate with their friends. There's no reason to get in the car and go down to my friend's house. I can.
1: They're on their Xbox with yeah. them. Right.
2: And and the in in business, the ability to show up, look someone in the eye, create that rapport and that relationship. Um, it's it, our next generation doesn't have that already. Now we can't even hardly shake hands. So what is it without looking you in the eye, having a nice smile, and, and, and introducing yourself with a handshake? We're falling off the table so fast. From a relational
0: standpoint. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I feel like from a relational standpoint, we've taken a huge step back in the it's last Exactly
1: year. But the, right, and everything's relying on technology. The challenge, I think, that we're going to have is that that from a talent acquisition, if we don't get on board with the, the work-at-home and as Jamie had mentioned, we already have people right now, millennials, that are asking us to be able to work at home. If we don't get on board, when we go to hire the next person, that that is a talented person that has the skill set and is a perfect fit for us, but once that that stay-at-home job, we may, may not be able to um, to get that person because we're, we've we've not. Right. Developed that ability to allow them to work from we home. We don't so. want to
2: be naive enough right. to not adapt. You know, to say from an, from an old guy to say the millennial generation, that's what's that's what we have got to work with. How do we best do that? Yeah, and and and, and adapt.
0: And I'm interested, like in, I, we're definitely going down this route. Like, I mean, this is yeah. this is the route faster that, than we really mean, Axiom will be built on a distributed consulting yeah. model and we're going to have to and so this is where i pushed devin into the conversation like how do you build community mm-hmm. like this is your this is your it's, this is your balbriggan right yeah. <laughs> um how do you build community when you don't have the the excuse of like running into people at work every day like it it of it can happen organically there's definitely you know, we can create safer work environments. We can create better venues, like the stuff you guys do with offsites and going to polo matches. That's huge. Like, if more companies would do that, I think more people would enjoy coming to work on Monday mornings. But how do you do that kind of stuff when we're talking about remote work?
1: Well, we have a prime example. So, our one of our sales guys turned fifty today, and and four or five of our service staff stayed last night and decorated his entire—that's awesome—with um, all of the fifty over the hill kind of stuff. And if you're remote. How do you do that? Right. How do you do that? Without I mean, and, breaking and entering. And right. to, <laughs> without getting arrested. To uh,
2: complicate the conversation of hiring like we did on the podcast was now we're receiving applicants from all over the country. So not just the 40 businesses that are hiring surround me. I send out an application and in Indeed across the country because it doesn't matter where I'm, I'm housed. I'm working from right. home. So it, it makes it matters exponentially worse because now, if if you're allowing to work from home, I'm going. I'm going to move to uh, um, North Carolina, where the climate's a little bit better. Because it really doesn't matter, right. and we're seeing that.
3: You know, it's interesting because there's so many different things at play. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is every every generation has to bear its sins, the consequences of its sins, right? And so you look at the say, following World War II, and you look at this big push uh, between, let's just, up until the 70s, right? There was this very much, like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, working hard is a good thing to do, and work was still seen as valuable in and of itself, but then you had a generation that came around that was sort of bucking the trend, and work had to have a little bit more meaning, and then culture became really important and then you start to see another transition i think you saw a shift again and and i can't i can't put an exact time from around it but the you see it more so in like the the corporate government or economic responsibility like we are going to be a company that is extremely careful about the environment and the thing and those things are great but the company started to to use it as itself as a platform for whatever the the big push was and ultimately what happens is you start to see these shifts where company culture is not dictated by somebody deciding this is the kind of culture this is the kind of environment that we want it's whatever the common idea of the day is Hmm. and so now you have a lot of people you know perhaps you have a generation that is going my parents worked and there was no such thing as culture, you know, that, yeah, work work was important, kind of a, a shift back to what, what it was when you had to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And they're going, why do I need to be in an environment? Why do I need to be in a workplace that is not going to fulfill me? I'm spending eight hours of my day there. I'm spending a majority of my life in this office. Why would I go... Why, if there's not a strong culture and all I'm doing it for is to get paid and to, to be able to have the lifestyle that I want, why do I need to go there? Hmm. There's nothing valuable in the culture itself, in the community itself. Um, you know, so maybe, maybe you're seeing kind of a backlash. Like we, the problem is that we didn't create something in business, in the company cultures that are now having to respond to this problem. We didn't create something initially, and now we're having to deal with the consequence. Hmm. Right. People don't want to be there, or they don't feel like they don't feel attached to it in any real meaningful way.
1: So, is there a is there some sort of magic wand to be able to create an environment, a a, 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 a culture when you're when you have your entire staff working remote? I mean, how do you? I don't. That's the thing. I mean, you kind of ask the question. I still don't know the answer to it. How do you engage? How do you figure out how to? to build that camaraderie, that teamwork, and that, that great environment that I think we have in our company when you don't get a chance to see each other face-to-face.
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, so there's a lot of companies that see each other face-to-face that don't have the culture that you have, okay. right? So uh, uh, th- that says, okay, face-to-face is not the, the key ingredient. It's what are you doing when you're face-to-face? So what are the things that you guys are doing that are different from other companies? And it could be, po- it's, it might be possible, that you could take those things and do them even if you weren't face to face. Maybe, maybe we're making a presupposition that it's face to face that's a secret sauce, but it strikes me that, I mean, we've run into, we're, we're dealing with a, a couple of new clients right now, and I can tell you, face to face is not cutting it.
1: But is face to face an ingredient that adds to the success of the? Of, of the
0: mix I th- so here 's where you might get into efficiency versus effectiveness, right I think face to face makes it more efficient right it's more efficient mm-hmm. for us to all be able to go to the polo grounds together and to build relationships together and d- 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 you know spend ten minutes with this person and thirty minutes in conversation here and fifteen minutes playing cornhole with these group of people and we can start to build rapport and relationships and see each other as human beings that, that like to to be around each other. So that fosters the same kind of goodwill that we talked about. The two of you have been able to share for the last two decades, which helps you work together so much more effectively than people who don't share that goodwill. And we see partners butting their heads. I think that's what we're after is like, do you, do I believe that you have my best interest at heart Mm -hmm. when we, hit, you know, disagree on something or make a handoff and it goes sour and I'm dealing with a client. Do I look at you? Do you pissed off? Like you created this problem for me or do I look at you and go, man, they're probably doing the best they could. Can we go spend some time together and figure out a better way next time? So, you know, that's, it's more efficient to be able to have everybody in the same place because you don't, you don't, necessarily have to be intentional about it you guys can find yourselves in the office you know with an extra 20 minutes or a free lunch hour and you're like hey you know you got what are you guys doing for lunch let's go grab something to eat right but if you're not in the same space you got to look at your calendar you got to figure you got to reach out say hey you know it's it's funny because i had an experience this weekend uh where a cousin of mine that i was really close to Back in my teenage years, um, we just, life got busy, right? And we just kind of fell out of touch. And we had a chance to reconnect. And it was only on the phone. Like, there was no Zoom, right? I didn't, I didn't even see her face. But that phone call did more for our relationship than, the la- than anything else over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that if I were a little bit more intentional about how I'm communicating and what I'm communicating, it makes a difference. Almost
2: yeah, like we're kind of at a crossroads if I'm working from home, and, I, and Devin, if I kind of take that approach a little bit, it, it's almost like I, if, if it's just work, then I'm a people person. I genuinely care about people, so I want to know how you're doing today. And, and you can still communicate that via Zoom or via a teleconference, anything like that. But then if I'm working from home, does it make me more all about me And I don't need any more friends. I got enough friends. So I don't need to go into an office and create friends. I got a job to do, but then that's all it becomes is working for the dollar. And then who's got the next dollar? I'm going to the next. And I'm working from home anyway. And so there has to be a sense of intentional personal relationship, whether it's Zoom or that communication skill, so that it doesn't go away. Um, I can be very selfish and stay at home and turn the lights out and not shave because I am not. I don't do Zoom. We're just doing teleconferences. But then it's all about me, and I really don't care what uh, Susie's doing in the next cubicle. And I don't need any more friends.
3: Yeah, so what Joey's getting to, there's uh, there's a three kind of pillar words that I use. I got them from Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. And he outlines every everything you need for a strong culture can be summarized in that there is safety, that the people are connected, and that there's a future. So if you if people in your organization feel safe and that you know they can hear hard things and not be seen as lesser of a human being or, uh, you know, that their job is not threatened because they were called out because this your performance in this area stank. That that's good. Like you should be able to feel safe in an organization. It doesn't mean that everybody's walking around with with kid gloves on, making sure that they don't hurt feelings. It actually means safety is when people say things that would intentionally, you know, may may hurt feelings. Mm. There's structures in place in the culture to make that a, a good thing. Uh, people are connected, and that they're looking at everything around them and going, "What we're doing here in this business, in this organization, or or this team." it's for a bigger purpose. Like there's something that is bigger than all, like this is bigger than any one of us, right? So we're connected beyond, like on a human scale, right? Which is, sounds really progressive and new agey. And, but I think it's important, right? We're connected on human scale. And then there's a future that we are going somewhere. There is an end goal in this. And what you lose when people go out into their own environments is you really, I think what to Joey's point where it becomes more efficient if you're rubbing shoulders is you lose the connection or it's it's harder to be connected. But it's not impossible. In fact, you know, we know a company, the Bob Barker company is in C12 and, and a, at least one of their members, one of their employees is Dan Kalari, super guy. His team is completely remote. Mm. But he's he he touts that they have one of they have the best culture. And I agree with him because I hear his stories. I hear how he connects with his team over Zoom on a weekly basis. You know, the weekly leadership team meetings or the daily huddles. Like the, even if those happen on Zoom, that's still ways to be connected. Like, hey, let us know what's going what's going on in your life that is bigger than that bigger than you that we can all like rally around. Hmm. Because it's not all about work here. We're connected beyond what we're doing in these four walls. And if you have those three things, I think. You start to, whether it's remote or in the office, you can build the strong cultures. You can build the relationships. Uh, it is easier, I think, when you're rubbing shoulders with somebody. I think Renee Brown says it's hard to hate someone else up close, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're rubbing shoulders with somebody, it is much easier to build the strong relationships that, that I think are one of a key, you know, key piece of culture. So if
2: businesses aren't embracing that, they're going to get run over. And it's going to be very difficult for them because this is where we have to adapt. We know that that's coming faster than we really want it to in some cases. You've got to embrace it, and you've got to figure that out now. And you need to adapt, and you have to be intentional about it. So what is it that we can do to create that culture that feels like they're they're making a difference? And, And I don't have to come into work to do that. So if you're not embracing and adapting and doing that now, you will get run over because it's coming, and it's coming fast.
0: Yeah, we we have uh, a situation in the past week where we were addressing that same issue, like why is the culture not there? Devin brought up the safe, connected future, and what it looked like in this particular instance, which may have some general application, may not. But safe, like in this case, you got to remove toxic members from the team, mm. toxic people who are... Um, Not on board, you know, more more self-interested than team-oriented, or you know, prideful and ego. Lack of humility can be very toxic to any team. So if you if you've got that kind of stuff, I mean, like I'm not saying go go. You got to go give them the boot today, but you got to address the elephant in the room, which is like, hey, like when you show up, the conversation shuts down. Um, People don't people are scared to tell you what they really think you know, about not about you, but about a new idea or a problem resolution because you'll shoot everything down. Or you seem to always have the answer, you know, like, do you really know everything you're saying? Like nobody, just once, I think your teammates would be refreshed. Here you go. That's a good question. I'm not sure, you know, can we talk about that some more rather than always have. So that toxicity is one of the biggest things that creates the unsafe environment connection. When we talk about in our planning model, uh, values, vision, why, and mission. So the why, like why are we doing what we're doing? If Devin and I share the same why, we have a whole new basis for connecting. You know, so if if he believes business is the best way to change the world for the better, and I believe that too, like we're gonna find tons of common ground in tackling just about everything, and we roll out of bed for the same reason in the morning. So we're we're connected. Uh, Cameron, who works up in tampa lives up in tampa we get to see him once a week usually at best but man he is on board with that connection and so when we talk we kind of get right to the heart of the matter and what the motivations are and then future like is there any vision like do we know where we're trying to go what we're trying to accomplish is there opportunity here um and one of the biggest things that kills Companies, when it comes to uncertainty and vision, is is like this stranglehold on information. Like they may not be great at articulating, this is the mountain that we're all climbing together. That you know, few companies have that kind of determined, a big, hairy, audacious goal kind of thing. But at the very minimum, if you'll just share like where we are, right? And if if I get a real clear picture of all the shit that's hitting the fan, of all the stuff that's in motion, the good, the winds that are happening, as well as the crap. If you'll share the information, I'll feel a lot, a lot more like I know what's happening and where we're going together. Mm. But if you don't cover those three toxic people, people, I'm there for my own reason, you know, like this is just a paycheck for me, mm. or keeping them in the dark because you think information is power is power. I think your culture is going to
3: suck. Yeah, it's it's. I think some of that goes to. In the absence of information, people I think we're naturally bent to create our narrative, and I think that's where, even if it's bad information, if your employees feel valued enough for you to share that with them, and like saying, that I don't, maybe as a business owner this is this is really far like far out there probably, but you you go hey I don't know what the next step looks like, but you said it. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about where the money's coming from. Like that's my responsibility, and I'm gonna I'm, everything in my power to care for you.
0: Mm.
3: How val like, who 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 thinks like that anymore? Who talks like that
1: anymore? We said that statement every day when COVID hit.
3: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Pretty much.
1: I have no idea what we're doing right now, but we're figuring it out. Yeah. And there's and, and that there's, goes, that there's, cuts both
0: ways too. Like mm. it's you know, we we've had to encourage some business owners to be more judicious. Yeah, you know <laughs> right. because they're like. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, people start thinking the company is going to file bankruptcy tomorrow. Yeah. You know?
2: that's sure. we, we go in the back room, close the door, and then we do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> <laughs> yeah. You just don't show it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We rely on our team. You know, mm-hmm. we, the, the old adage of if, if you're coming to me with a problem, make sure you have a solution and let's figure it out. So as a team, here's our challenge. We're all, we've got a very smart team. So we've got COVID, and here are some of the main challenges. Let's bullet point them, and, and what are we going to do uh, to get in front of it? And so we rely on our team for feedback, and they are participating in the outcome. Mm. And we, it, it works, and they feel valued.
3: You know, maybe that's where it comes full circle is, you know, you think about – read, I've read articles about the, work shortage, the workforce shortage – right? And you value your team. But how many businesses nowadays are looking for the best talent? Why would you look for the best talent? Because it's efficient? Because we want to grow the company? Because we want to be more successful? Because we want more money? Because we want to extend our reach? Like, there's lots of good reasons, but there's also a lot of bad reasons, like, or I guess, uh, self-centered reasons, why you would go and find the best talent and and probably find it cheaper than the person who you, who's on your staff who's been working for you for 10, 10 years. And I think that's some of the other side that you're getting into. It's so hard to find good people in the workforce because everybody's playing the same game. All the companies are going and trying to find the best talent and we have a pool of people who we see who we don't value. If we could replace this person tomorrow with a higher skilled talent for less money, I would do it in a heartbeat. Why? Like, so that that's like the extreme of not valuing your people. On the other side, you have, like, I'm going to pour into and train this individual, even though they're green, right? You see this in a lot of service industries. Some of our best clients have have a grassroots training program where this person is going to move up, they're going to move through all the ranks, and they are going to stay with it. We, we hope that they stay with us. and. Why? Well, because I value the individual. I care about the individual. Sure, it's gonna it's gonna be a long. It's gonna be less efficient, but I'm playing the long game here because I know that this labor shortage is only gonna get worse, and I think that's. So you have LinkedIn who who just propagates resumes out to you know, or takes in resumes and sends them out to everybody who has the has the job posting, and why do they do that? Well, because we we've kind of gotten away from. Looking at the people in our organization who we might spend a little bit more time with, tra- train them up because it's, why, why do we get away from that? Because it's less efficient. So we're hitting this, we're now experiencing the, the backlash of that, which is way too much information. We, we can't even comb through all the resumes that we're getting. And, and meanwhile, Jack over down in you know, processing is going, you know, I'd really like, to, I like the company. I'd really like to move up. And we're looking over them. Well, I think what you're talking about, too, is
0: that desire, like, we just want the best talent. I mean, that's just, that's lazy leadership. Like, so, like, if, you're, if your goal as the leader is to provide the resources, support, training, you know, everything that your people need to be successful, it's a different calling than I've got to put the chess pieces on the board and I want the best pawn I can get for the money, right? Rather than look at what, what do it, is everybody on the on the board now? Are they at their highest and best use? Are they fulfilled? Have I done? Have I asked them what I should be doing for them so that they can be more successful? So, and then you run into Jack, who's like, I hey mean, like I think I got a lot more to offer. Is there the opportunity for me to take on some more responsibility?
1: We've we've been uh, we've worked with companies where the culture wasn't good, and so I saw that and how it affected people and what their what their environment, what their workload, what their dedication to the company was. So right now, I mean, honestly, when I'm interviewing someone, I'm looking culturally more than what their talent is. I want to know whether they're going to fit into our. Are they going to Are they going to cause a ripple in our company? Because the 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 skill set, the talent side, we can train. That's not mm-hmm. an issue. It's very difficult to train the culture side.
0: All right. Mm-hmm. That's the Danny yeah. Meyer. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, this whole book is about that. Yeah. This, <laughs> Danny Meyer.
3: Have you ever read if. Uh, you get a chance. It's called uh, setting the table. Listen to it. It's very. It's, yeah, it's too a, hard to read. It's, it's, he's it's so wordy, thing. and he, he his background, you know, travels to Italy, so he he uses a lot of French words, and you know, he's just long-winded in his explanations. But he he calls it the fifty-one percenter. He said we grade people and we hire people if they're fifty-one percenter's, because if they get if they're fifty-one percent on board, they pass. They get a perfect grade on our culture. Then, the other half, the the forty nine percent is talent. Right. At the forty nine percent, I can train somebody how to walk a tray to the table. Mm-hmm. I can give them the script to have a great conversation with the 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 customer who's dining with us. But I can't teach them the the intrinsic. Like I can't teach them to value people. Right. Necessarily. There's like a that. Lot that has true to. That. Right.
2: And I think that's a lot of what we do. Yeah. yeah we need to know them and that they they fit our mold and our culture. And if they do all of that, we can set them up for a career path uh, at that point. But finding the right person with the right cultural fit and th- th- just the ability to see a problem and fix it, and that's what we look for first. And then we can set them up for success.
3: You guys hungry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, you might be able to hear my stomach rumbling. Over, (laughs) I heard (laughs) it a couple (laughs) times. Yeah, (laughs) let's go eat.